Well, I'm going to suggest to you that the ultimate proof, the ultimate touching point for our future faith, it's still in the past. And the ultimate proof, the ultimate guarantee of our future faith is what we are going to gather in about 12 days to celebrate. chapter of Hebrews particularly is about journeys. So Hebrews chapter 11 verses 17 to 22. Hebrews 11, 17 to 22. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac, shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship, over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Father, be with our brother James now as he brings your word to us. Open our ears, open our hearts to your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, David. Well, good morning again. Uh, we've been in Hebrews for, for a little while now, haven't we? This is our, because uh, I know you've been counting, uh, this is our 27th message uh, through the book uh, of Hebrews. And as we said before, we're going to pause a little bit next week, the 20th to 27th of December. We're going to talk about Christmas, and uh, we'll start the new year with something different. But uh, we've, we're 27 messages into Hebrews uh, with this big focus of Jesus being greater than uh, just everything we've, we've put him up against, really. Uh, so we read in verse 13 last week that these Old Testament saints, these faithful people, the Old Testament that we've looked at as examples, they died in their faith. And we'd be forgiven for thinking, you know, is that, is that the end? Is that the end of it? You know, you live a life of faith and then you, you die in your faith and, uh, and then that's that. Uh, but uh, Corey Ten Boom, who worked with her dad and her sister and, and other people in their family to help Jews escape uh, the Nazi Holocaust in, in World War II, uh, she said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. So how do we know then? How do we know what he's going to do in the future? Uh, and that's exactly what we're going to see uh, today in this these five or six verses uh, from Hebrews chapter 11. There's, a, there's an element of the future uh, in all of these four guys that we're going to talk about and we'll look at, is their future faith well-placed? Uh, where does our future faith come from? And, uh, and is our future faith blind? Uh, so if you've not done so already, let's open up those Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, if you are on our app or the Bible app, this is all there for you. 
Uh, and we'll read again together Hebrews 11, verses 17 to 19, where we're talking about Abraham. So Hebrews 11, 17 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So, uh, just, you just think, is, is there a more epic example of faith in action uh, in the entire Word of God? Maybe, you know, apart from Jesus coming, taking on flesh, living and dying for us, raising and ascending, is there a more epic example of a regular person, just like you and just like me? Abraham's just a regular guy. Uh, is there, a, is there a, a better example of a person acting in their faith? And I wonder, do you know this story? Do you know the story that, that we're talking about? Of, uh, of, of Abraham almost sacrificing his son? Some people kind of nodding. But that's all right. We're going to talk about it anyway. Uh, so let's, um, let's turn back in your Bibles to the very first book. Uh, let's go to Genesis. And we're in, Gen- it's in Genesis 22. Uh, so I'll give you this in a nutshell, uh, in as few words as possible, which is difficult for me. Uh, so Abraham's old, maybe about 100. Sarah's old, about 90. Uh, they've been promised that son that we talked about last week, uh, through whom those millions and, and quintillions, we said, uh, of descendants would come. But nothing yet. They've got no, they haven't had a son together. So they take matters into their own hand. And they try to take care of it themselves. Uh, Abraham fathers a son through Hagar, Ishmael, not really part of the plan. Uh, God wants total obedience. He visits Abraham again and says, look, it will happen for Sarah. This time next year, she will have a son. Fast forward the regular uh, pregnancy period and the like, and uh, she does. Uh, There's Isaac. Uh, Fast forward a few more years, 15, 25 years. He's somewhat of a grown-up, I guess. probably felt like a grown-up, didn't he, when he was 15, 16, 20, but you know, don't you, that at 20, you're not much of a grown-up. Um, there he is, the guy, this is the guy through whom the promise will come. So this guy has to have children, doesn't he? It, the, 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 the line is going to go through Isaac, he's got to have children, doesn't have any children yet. And then, we pick it up, Genesis 22, verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am, which is a good start. He said, uh, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So remember, for for you and for me, we can look back and we can can say, well, uh, yes, God resurrects. We've got evidence uh, that he resurrects from the dead, not resuscitates from almost a little bit somewhat dead. Uh, God resurrects, so I guess he, he can, we can logically conclude that he, he did that, so he can do it again. But at, the, at this point in the narrative, you know, we're a few chapters into this, this big story, there have been no documented resurrections there's been no, at this point in the narrative, Genesis, nobody's been resurrected from the dead. So this is nowhere again, isn't it? He's, he's been asked to do something that's yet unseen. So Abraham is asked to do something based on nothing other 
than the Word of God. A word from God and his faith in God's Word and his faith in God's faithfulness. We read, didn't we, through Isaac. That's where the promise is going to come. And he's told, uh, if you're a, a highlighter, if you're an underliner, this is something to underline. Genesis 22:2. Take your son, your only son. Maybe some of your Bibles say your only begotten son. Take your only begotten son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering. So the son, 20, 25 years old, we're thinking... This is the guy through whom the promise is coming. He's got to have children, but he's not had any children yet. But God has promised this is the guy. Now he's asking me to offer him as a burnt offering. And that's the only thing that Abraham's got to go on. God, a word from God. So off they go. And in Abraham's mind, Isaac is as good as dead. He said a word from the Lord to say, take him, sacrifice him, off you go. And they're going, they're going this three-day journey to get to Mount Moriah. And in Abraham's mind, Isaac is dead. So for three, it's like a, a dead man walking. For three days, they're traveling together. They're going to this mountain. And in Abraham's mind, he's, he's dead. So we carry on verse 3 of Genesis 22. Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, again, if you're a highlighter, an underliner, this is something to go for, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So notice with me there, he already knows He's already acting in faith and, and, and speaking in faith and acting in faith with him. You stay here. Me and the boy are going to go and we, we will come back to you. Now God has told him, go up there and offer him as a burnt offering and he's saying, stay there. We are going to go and worship and then we are going to come back to you. So you can, can you see that the future faith there of he's been told to go over and sacrifice him but he's saying, look, stay there because we are going to come back. So he doesn't know how this is all going to play out, but he, he trusts in God's promise that this is the guy through whom the, 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 the promise is going to come. So he, he, God must be able to work this out. So they're on Mount Moriah, which is now outside Jerusalem. Uh, there's a good line of thinking that it's the same physical place as uh, the, the cross of Christ. So they're, they're outside Jerusalem. They've traveled for three days where in his mind, we said this, didn't we? In Abraham's mind, his only begotten son miraculously conceived. His only son is carrying wood up the hill to be a sacrifice. And in the mind of the father, the son is as good as dead for those three days. Because God has said this is going to happen. So Abraham's taking him at his word. We talked about last week, didn't we? Believing God or believing in God. We just sung about believing God. So in, in Abraham's mind, he's dead. Three days, only begotten son, this miracle child conceived against all kind of normal expectations and methods in his mind is, is dead. And we carry on in, in Genesis 22, uh, in verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. 
So they went both of them together, and Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they had come to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. In his mind, he's as good as dead. And you can, you can just picture him, can't you, thinking like, no, something's, gonna have, something, something's maybe going to stop me. But he's there, we read, he's, he's bound him. And Isaac's a young man. He could have easily said, thank you, but no thank you, old man and just pushed him out of the way. He's 100, and Isaac's 25. No way, old guy. But Abraham is obedient in this, but so is Isaac as well. He, he gets up there, and he lets his dad bind him. So in his mind, in Abraham's mind, as good as dead, three days as good as dead, and we read, don't we, back in Hebrews, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now again, that's the same place that another son carried wood up it's the same place that another son was offered, another only begotten son, another miracle child. Are you following? And we read back in Hebrews, don't we, that, he, that Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, we've, we've said a few times that uh, the, the Bible was not written in, in modern contemporary English or the, the, the modern language that you think and, and, and speak in naturally. Uh, it was written in, in Greek, and this, he considered, carries the meaning of Abraham really, really thought about this. He deeply thought about this, and he concluded very rationally, very reasonably. Abraham almost calculated. Let's think about what we know about God. Let's think about what he's asking me to do. But then what do we, what do we, what do we know about him? And what's, what's God said about this? He said that through Isaac, this promise is going to continue. So he thought about this deeply, and he's not driven by his emotion, because really, what father would, would feel all right with sacrificing their own son? His emotions must have said no. No way. This feels so wrong. But he understood it. He, 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 thought deeply about who God is, what God has said. He's seen God come through and his promises to him so far. So he's going ahead in obedience. And I read this week that Abraham was able to rise above the trial and trust in the resurrecting power of God. And it's the same for you and for me. Sometimes we need to look beyond the experiences of our life in which uh, God's promises don't seem from our perspective, to be being fulfilled. And we need to realize that he is a God who resurrects. He's a God who's true to his word. And we need to realize the, the resurrection. Amen? We need to look beyond the experience. Again, verse 13, last week, uh, these Old Testament saints died in their faith. But they realized, they took, they took as true the promises of God that this is going to happen. And they lived as if they were true. And we've seen, or we do see in the, the first part of Genesis, that God took action to show himself real to Abraham. 
and uh, he took action to validate and justify the future faith that Abraham showed. And again, we really considered, Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Abraham had to look beyond the experience. Uh, He had to be present in those experiences. We can't just check out of life and, and and, and go and sit in the woods and, and wait for the rapture to happen and grow long, scraggly beards and live in a tree. We've got to be present in the world, but um, above and beyond that, to, to realize that the resurrecting power of the God that we love and serve and that he is true to his word. So he has said all of this stuff is going to happen. And like we said last week, do we believe in him? Do we just acknowledge that, yeah, maybe he's probably there? Or do we actually take him at his word and believe him? As Abraham did through Isaac, the promise is going to come. Now you're being asked to sacrifice him, but well, God's told me it's going to come through Isaac, so I don't know how it's going to work, but it, it, it is going to work. So back in Genesis 22, we read uh, verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So Abraham looked back. He looked back to the word that he had from the Lord and lived in future faith. What has God said in the past? Now I'm going to live in the present and I'm going to look in faith to the future based on what God has said. He saw what God had said. He saw what God had done. But as far as he was concerned, Isaac was as good as dead. And it was, like we read, almost figuratively in his mind, he's received him back from the dead. And what a, what a preview that is from, for us. A father receiving back from the dead his only begotten son after three days as if dead. Amen? And does that not make Hebrews chapter 11 just come alive? When you see back and you see what happened, you look forward to Jesus, you look back in Hebrews, it's just all, there's so much more color to what is going on when you look back and see what God has said, and you see what God has done. Uh, Bible scholar F.F. F. Bruce made this connection between what's going on here and what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 56, where Jesus said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, we don't know exactly when Abraham uh, saw the day of Jesus. Maybe it was when they're on their way up the mount, maybe it was as he's poised with the knife, maybe it's when he says to Isaac, don't worry, God is going to provide a lamb. The Bible doesn't say explicitly, so at best we can have a a logical uh, guess, but the the point is that when Abraham was confronted with with a promise from God and a command from God that seemed to him to contradict each other, what he did was what we should do as well. He trusted and he obeyed the command of God and let God take care of the promise. 
He obeyed the command of God, which is what we are called to do, and he let God take care of the future promise, because we can't affect that, can we? But what we can do is live in obedience to what he has called us to do. Amen? And Abraham, again, had faith in the future faithfulness of God. And what an, what an example of future faith uh, with Abraham there. And as we move into verses uh, 20 to 22, we get three more examples. Uh, so we're back in Hebrews 11. We'll read again together verses 20 to 22. Uh, By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each one of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. So, uh, we need to remember that these people that we've just read about, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Esau, everybody like that, that the Hebrews that are being addressed here, they know about these people intimately. They're not just names in a book. Uh, the, the, the Hebrews that are being addressed have uh, been raised Jewish. So they're intimately familiar with Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. It's part of their culture, it's part of their upbringing, it was part of the religion. Uh, so the writer, the speaker to the Hebrews, just assumes that they know who they are, which is why they just get one sentence each. By faith, he did this. By faith, he did that. But um, for us, it's maybe worth unpacking uh, a little bit more. Isaac, trusting God to fulfill the promises, uh, blessed his two sons. Jacob did the same with Joseph's sons, which was an act of future faith for him because he was so old, uh, as we're going to talk about. And uh, Joseph too, again, everybody's old and almost dying, uh, expressed confidence that God would come through on his word uh, even though his, his earthly circumstances told him differently. And uh, as, as for them, as for the Hebrews, and, uh, and as for you and me now, God has said this is going to happen, so we live in future faith that this is going to happen. So first up we get Isaac. This is back in Genesis 27, and uh, if, if you think or if you feel like your family is uh, dysfunctional, uh, then this family uh, makes your family look uh, perfect. Um, this family are deceptive. This family are dysfunctional. We've got people dressing up like Chewbacca from Star Wars. Uh, the the mum mom is involved in the lies. Mum is helping the boy to deceive the dad to get some stuff while the other boy's out and about. He's been told you're going to get a blessing, but it's not really his blessing to have, so let's all dress up as hairy men and mum can lie to... It's just... They're just not a very faithful family. Everybody's trying to get... Everybody's trying to get, you know, get me, get me and mine. Everybody's looking after themselves. But despite their dysfunctional selves, uh, they get to a point where we read... Uh, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Now, all this happened, and God's purposes and, and, and the line which, which we now look back on that God had pre, sort of preordained, preordered, that God knew was going to happen. He, it all happened despite this dysfunctional family <laughs> trying to do things their own way. The, Isaac's blessing, the, 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 the faith, in his blessing, came after he saw that trying to do things my way, trying to go around God's plan for things, and I'll just do it my way, and I guess God will get on board. 
the faith in his blessing came after he saw that doing it that way is just not going to work. It's just not as good. And we read at the end of uh, Genesis 27:33, he's talking about uh, about Jacob. Said yes, and he shall be blessed. So he's kind of accepted. Look, my way has failed. So let's let's do it your way. And he knew that his attempt to go around God's plan uh, was uh, pointless. And he got on board with the plan and blessed his sons in faith. And so I guess the obvious question for, for us is that have, have we ever tried to do that? Have we had a, have a word from the Lord? Have we read in his word? Have we taken counsel from godly people and we've been told to go in one direction? But then we think, nah, I'm going to do things my way. And we set off down our own path. And by the time we get however far down it, we realize that, nah, this is just not as good. So we've got to go back. We've got to, we've got to be humble. We've got to repent. And then we start moving in faith the direction that the Lord has planned for us. And that was, <laughs> that was certainly Isaac. Uh, and as we continue in verse 21, uh, we see, By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Now again, Jacob, not the most faith-filled man in the Bible. Um, there's, <laughs> there's not much to choose from uh, in terms of faith-filled actions in his life. Maybe that's why he just gets one sentence. But uh, he arrives at a point in his life where in future faith, he blesses his grandchildren. Uh, he looked beyond his own death in future faith and he blessed others. And uh, we see in this verse that he uh, bowed in, he was bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And uh, if you're not familiar with why, back in Genesis 32, he had a bit of a wrestle with the Lord again, trying to do things his own way, trying to get what he wanted. And uh, a long story short, he had a dislocated hip which sounds uh, pretty painful. But he's trying to do his own thing, a little bit like he did before with, with, with dressing up like his brother. And, uh, but he gets to a point in his life where he, he acknowledges that God is great. God holds the future. And uh, therefore he worships and he, he shows his future faith by blessing his grandchildren. And uh, before we talk about Joseph, I, I want to tell you something about blessings in the Bible. Isaac and Jacob here are blessing their uh, children and grandchildren. And very typically in the Bible, when you are blessing somebody, you would put a hand on them. So when children were blessed, uh, you would put a hand on their, on their head or on their shoulder. Maybe you would hold their hand, but you would be physically touching that child when you blessed them. And uh, I read about a study this week done on 400 ladies who had given birth to four children or more outside of marriage, and they found one common thing uh, with them all. And it wasn't race, uh, it wasn't religion, it wasn't income, it wasn't where they lived in the world, but the, the, the common thing was that as children, they all lacked physical affection from a dad or a granddad. So if we, can just, if we can just talk to the dads or granddads or uncles or just the, the, the men, uh, hug your kids. Let's not all go charging into kids' church right now to be putting hands on people, other people's kids. 
But um, hug your kids. Kiss your kids. If you're not comfortable with it, get comfortable with it. Go in a... <laughs> just get comfortable with it. Hug your kids. Kiss your kids. Tell your kids how much you value them, how much you love them, how proud of them you are. Uh, but tell them always. Love them always. And even if dads, they ignore you, we've got one. <laughs> try and hug him, try and kiss him, and he is fast, and he runs away, and he shouts, no. <laughs> and for me as a dad, that's horrible. But I'm trying. <laughs> I'll try and first catch him. Uh, but then I try, I'm trying to to physically show this boy that, that he's loved and that he's cared for. If, they, if you've got slightly older kids and uh, they don't want to walk with you in the mall, you know, like, Dad, can you drop back? Or can you just walk in front there because there's some people from school and I'm not being seen uh, with you, Dad, wearing that shirt. Uh, if, you've got kids, if you've got kids like that, if they, want, if they want you to drop them off at school, five minutes down the road so they're not seen getting out of your beat-up car. It's fine, it's fine. That will pass. That's just like our little boy when we try and cuddle him and kiss him. He cries. But, uh, but dads, men, uncles, granddads, just be, be consistent in how you physically show your children that they are loved. And bless them. Pray for them. Pray over them. You're, you're, you're a believer. You, all these, the, the promises that God gives for you in your life and the stuff that is now that you are, put a hand on them and, and bless them. So, Joseph, he's now old. Again, we're dealing with old men this week. He's 110. And we read in Genesis chapter 50, verse 24, that Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And again, a massive example of future faith. He knew that God's promises and God's word was true, and he was never buried which at the time and the location was very, very different. Would have been a little bit weird. So his coffin just sits there for 400 years. Like a, a bit of an elephant in the room. It's just the coffin in the community. Uh, as this, just this silent witness that one day... This is going to be over. God is going to come and, and, and visit us. And, and the, what we would call the Exodus, the Exodus is going to happen. 400 years. How strong was the future faith of Joseph? He knew, he knew, knew, knew. God has said, you are going to live in this land. You are going to be this great nation. You will be over there, but now you're over here. So I've died over here. I don't want to stay over here. So promise me when I die, you will take me with you because God is going to come and he is going to set you free from this captivity. And I read this week that Joseph's faith testified for years after his death. And, and during that time when you, you, know, you can just imagine, can't you, you see people in, in Israel, the Israelites, see this coffin and ask dad, ask granddad, 
somebody who looks like they know what they're talking about. What is that and why is it there? And it just stands as a witness to that's the, that Joseph's coffin and he knew, he believed and he trusted the Lord that we are not going to be here forever. So one day God is going to come and God is going to liberate us from this slavery and he's going to take us to freedom. Joseph then, he, he believed in this, uh, again, the, the future exodus, we would call, just call it the exodus, wouldn't we? Uh, and that, again, there's, there's huge faith there. There's, there's future faith in God and his word because he said this is going to happen, so now we need to act as if it is going to happen. Uh, faith in, in God's faithfulness and faith in the future. So Isaac, uh, Jacob, Joseph, we've got three different guys, uh, three different examples of uh, future faith, but they all, in common, they looked back to God's word, what God had said, and they lived now as if this is all going to happen. A huge example of future faith. Uh, for you and for me, for us, we've seen God work miraculously in our lives. We've seen stuff happen in our lives that people have said, no way is that going to happen or that can't happen. Maybe a doctor has told you, you will need to have this done or there's no way that that will happen for you. And we've, we've seen God work in our lives in miraculous ways. We see him work in our everyday lives, in what we would consider the kind of the mundane, boring stuff in our lives. But we've seen him working in our lives of all these different points to look back on uh, when we're thinking about our future. And so this part of Hebrews then uh, is, is instructing us, is telling us to live as if his word is true. We don't just read it and think, that sounds really cool. Now on with the day. Let's just, you know, let's just carry on and, and, and do my thing my way. Uh, this part of Hebrews is, is teaching us to live by faith but today, but also looking forward and to accept as real all of the promises of God. And like we've talked about this before, we, do we believe in him? Do we acknowledge that he is real or do we believe him? Small word difference, massive meaning difference. If we believe him, we look at all the stuff that he has said is going to happen and we, we live as if we believe it. So like Abraham then, uh, we need some faith that, that he concluded, he counted on, he reasoned, he arrived at this logical and reasonable conclusion to trust God based on what God has said, that he's going to do all that he, he said he's going to do. Um, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, right up until the end of their lives, they had a faith that God will do this again. That he is willing and he is able because we've seen him do it and he wants to do it again because he said he's going to do it again. So, right at the start we said that uh, Corey Ten Boom said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. So how do we know what he's going to do in the future of our lives? Because you and me, we're not Abraham, and we're not Isaac, and we're not Jacob, and we're not Joseph. We can't pretend that we are and hold specific promises to specific people as if they're going to be true to, uh, to our lives. Um, we'll not go down that road of taking Old Testament <laughs> verses and promises and, and, and holding to it as if it's written to you. Because uh, you're not Abraham, and I'm not Abraham. So what, where do we look for our future faith. 
Well, I'm going to suggest to you that the ultimate proof, the ultimate touching point for our future faith, it's still in the past. And the ultimate proof, the ultimate guarantee of our future faith is what we are going to gather in about 12 days to celebrate. That the ultimate touching point proof even though there are so many in his word, in our own lives, that the thing that is, is universal to all of us, the ultimate proof of his ability and willingness to provide for you today and all of your tomorrows was sending his son to take on flesh and live with us. And I'm going to suggest to you that the ultimate proof of our, the ultimate touching point for our future faith is Advent. The word Advent means coming. Something's coming into place. Something appears. It arrives where it is supposed to be. And uh, as believers, we often speak about Advent and we, we talk about His first coming, don't we? We talk about uh, the, his, his first, Jesus' first Advent, uh, His incarnation, where uh, literally where He took on flesh. We talk about Advent... And we, we talk about Christmas, don't we? But Advent, if we're going to take it to mean what it actually means, is, is both. It's a commemoration and a remembrance of his first coming, and it is an anticipation of his second coming. So these Old Testament faithful, they longed for their Messiah to come, and it was faith in that that counts them righteous. And it's faith in that that means when we, uh, when we get to heaven and we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, these people will be there. Because they lived in faith that somebody, something is coming to make this all better. And he did, didn't he? He did. He came, he lived, he died, he rose, he ascended. And he said that he is coming again. So the ultimate touching point for our future faith is that it's still in the past and it's Christmas. It's looking back to why we celebrate Christmas as, uh, and then Easter, the life and the work and the, the person, the fact that there is a person to talk about, the person of Jesus. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that what God did when he sent his son into the world is an absolute guarantee that he will do everything he has ever promised. Amen? By sending his son into the world, the first 78% of this is, 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 is justified, is authenticated. He has come good on his word. He said he's going to come and then he came. Now he also says he is going to come again. So he said he's going to come and he came. So we know he's good, he's good for it. He's, he's good to his word. He's true to his word. He also said, I'm going to come again. So we look back to his first advent as a touching point for our future faith in his second advent. Amen? So, to the Hebrews then, Abraham and family all showed faith in the future. They all showed faith in the future faithfulness of God. They looked back to see what he has said, and then they moved forward in their faith. For you, for me, again, it's that difference between believing in God and actually believing him. We believe in 
him and we acknowledge that he's real, we believe him and we look at his word and we see what he said and we see that he came and we see what he said while he was here and then we live in light of that. We live appropriately after that. So, as we continue in this Advent season, then let us use Advent as a, as a touching point in the path for our future faith in His coming again. Let us remember what Christmas is and let us use Christmas as that touching point for He. It's this guarantee that He promised. It's a guarantee that everything that He has promised is going to come true. Amen? So we'll spend a moment or so just uh, in, uh, in, in personal prayer and uh, I'd like us to consider how, how, how is that going to look in your life this week. When we look back to Christmas, what has God promised that you're not really living in the light of? What promises do you need to claim in your life? He said this is going to happen. He said this is the life that's for you. And where, where are we not really living in that? So we'll spend a moment or so in, uh, in, in, in personal prayer and uh, we'll invite the worship team forward. And, uh, and after that, we'll, we'll close together, we'll pray together. I'm going to ask that you join me in, uh, in raising a holy hand in prayer. Father God, we, we gather, we assemble as your church at South Fellowship, and we say that we love you, we say that we, we believe in you, and we believe you. Father, as we read in your word, we, we pray as a, as, a, as a body that we believe and help our unbelief, Father. Help us to move forward in future faith, in areas of our lives where we, we are not doing so, where we've stalled, where we've slipped, where we've stopped. Father, we pray that as with these examples that we've, we've looked at this morning, that they took you at your word, they trusted in your word, and they lived in accordance with your word. So Father, we pray that for us as well, we, we can spend time in your word, we can learn from your word, we can be people of the word who know it who love it and who live who live out your word father we pray forgiveness we ask forgiveness for for times when uh, like like jacob maybe we've tried to do things our way we've tried to go around your will or go over above it and i'll just run away from it father we ask forgiveness we know that you're a god of forgiveness we know the ultimate proof again, is, is, is the cross of Christ. Father, we pray that as we continue into this, this Christmas season that we can, as we've already said, just experience the joy of this season, knowing that it was the ultimate example of your love for us, the ultimate example that you are true and good to your word, and it can be the ultimate example and, and touching point for the future faith that we need to walk in each and every day. Father, we love you, we praise you, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.